Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Perspectives. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. Today we have with us Judy Johansson. She um, lost her husband, Steve, to early onset Alzheimer's last year, but has a very important role at MassGen Hospital as a clinical research ambassador, helping families who have been impacted by Alzheimer's. Judy, we're so glad to have you with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Deborah. I'm happy to be here. Let's start first with Steve's um, journey with Alzheimer's. Um, he, um, he passed away last April, sadly, after a six-year battle um, with early onset. Can you tell us a little bit about um, his experience with Alzheimer's? Sure. Uh, just to start off, Steve was a construction project manager for special projects at Northeastern University and managing very detailed projects up to $20 million. And, um, you know, and he came home from work in 2011, May of 2011, and said he had received a poor performance review. So that set us out on trying to get answers about what was going on. His mother currently was living with Alzheimer's, and it was his worst fear that he would travel that same road. Um, and five and a half months of uh, testing led us to a diagnosis of early onset Alzheimer's right before his 59th birthday. We decided to dig in and become engaged anywhere we could. We sought resources from the Alzheimer's Association. We used our voices to advocate on both state and federal levels. We became socially engaged with other people who were on the same path and just decided to make the most of it. And um, we had a really great time uh, for about four years. And then things started getting um, a lot tougher for him and we recalibrated our compass and had as good of a time as we could during those times. And, um, and then he just kind of went down fast and hard in the end. So, so I, I want to talk um, a little bit about, I can't tell you how many people say, um, of people we speak to, that it's always the job performance. It's um, that really makes them stop and pause, like, is something wrong? It, it's it, their performance slips. Um, I've had it described to me um, a bit like an ADD symptom, like you can't focus and so your productivity goes down. Tell us a little bit more about what it was like for Steve at Northeastern. I, I imagine, you know, working for a big university, he had a lot of responsibilities on him. So what was it that, that when, he, when he came home and said, I got a bad performance review, what was it that they were noticing? They were noticing follow through, that he wasn't following through with things. And, um, you know, he, he used to say to me, I, you know, I'm concerned. And I'd say, oh, mention to your PCP when you have your visit that you're concerned about your memory. And the PCP would joke and say, oh, that's just marriage and, you know, and all these things that weren't true for us. But when work noticed that he was not uh, falling through with details that he used to be very detail oriented on, um, and then even he realized one time he did a complex final financial report at the end of a project, went in and laid it on his boss's desk and laid it on top of the identical report he had already done and had no recollection of. So, then, so yeah. it's um, and then and then you said you know you had about four good years and things really started to slide. What what exactly happened with Steve when he started to slide? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it was about this time two years ago, August of 2017, and um, you know physically 
he was a little bit slower than he was, but we were still able to, you know, do as much as we could. But what was happening was hallucinations were coming into play. And when hallucinations come into play and your surroundings or the people you know and love don't look like the people you know and love or the home that you feel safe in, um, you can respond in a defensive manner. And this made him agitated because he was such a loving man. For him not to feel comfortable was really, really hard for him, you could tell. So we started, um, his neurologist had been very stringent with uh, antipsychotic meds, thank goodness. But at that point, we started with antipsychotic meds. And those just aren't always the answer because on the tail end of the dose, uh, you can actually become more agitated and more uncomfortable. Absolutely. So we tried to manage yeah. that, you know, for a couple of months. And um, my children and I were, my kids were unbelievable. Sometimes they would just come in and play music for him or hold his hands and sing him to sleep or whatever. Um, and then October 21st of 2017, the symptoms really, he had a day that we just, there was nothing that we could do to calm his symptoms. And his neurologist suggested that we take him to the ER and uh, because he needed to get into a Jerry psych and for people who don't know that, I don't know if it's the same everywhere, but in Massachusetts, you have to go through an ER to get into a Jerry Psych unit to have your meds adjusted. And the ER currently is not any place for someone with dementia. So when you say the ER is not a place, is it because um, the staff don't know, they don't understand what's going on inside the brain, so they don't know how to deal with the emotional side? Like, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it was hard to deal with with the person who knew him best, me, for 38 years. So I don't expect medical professionals to have an understanding of him as soon as we go in. But with um, Alzheimer's being the sixth leading cause of death, uh, you would expect better dementia training. Um, you know, when I go in and say he has Alzheimer's and uh, triage nurse says three times, open your mouth so I can take your temperature, open your mouth. I'm like, you know, that is not going to work for him. Or putting us in a room for six hours with no one coming in. And, you know, I had not brought his anti-psych medication with me. I had not brought food with me, all these things. And then when his hallucinations took hold and he got aggressive, I needed to call for help. And even though they knew he had Alzheimer's, he was tackled and restrained and screamed at. Um, and it was really, it was horrific. Um, and these people were nice people. They were caring people. They were medical professionals. But I think What's not understood is what late stage Alzheimer's looks like and what a uh, hallucinogenic uh, state looks like and how to deal with that. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it is such a common thing with people who suffer from Alzheimer's, hallucinations. I mean, you know, we're seeing it um, with my mom. Um, and it's, it is, um, it is um, really a, worrisome in the sense that more and more people are 
getting Alzheimer's. Um, and, you know, this, this is obviously going to be a problem for many people to come if it's not already. Um, so what is the answer? Is it, do we need to better train people about the management of a later stage of disease? And I think this segues nicely into the work that you're doing today um, in helping medical professionals really understand how um, to best uh, treat uh, people who have Alzheimer's? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, there definitely needs to be more education around dementia. Again, like I said, with it being the sixth leading cause of death, why isn't it? You know, there's a hush and a whisper about dementia and Alzheimer's and um, because people are afraid of it. It's, it's an unknown um, entity that lives within this body. When someone has cancer or heart disease, we can see we can see what the ailment is and we can see treatments or how not to treat it. But with Alzheimer's, um, it's very hard to know how to do that. In Massachusetts, we have just passed a law last summer um, that will require every medical official to uh, med a medical person to be trained with dementia training before 2021. And every hospital has to implement an operational plan on how to deal with people with dementia. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have in writing, but how to implement this is, um, you know, is proving to be a little bit of a challenge. And uh, in Massachusetts, we have set up a permanent advisory council that is meeting quarterly to try to advise people on how to um, advance this law and put it into practice. Again, it's not easy, but the more we talk about it, the more, I, I haven't met one medical professional yet who has said, this is a bad idea. It's all, it's a great idea. How can we do it? Absolutely. Um, and uh, we're, we're getting, somebody is making a comment now saying, um, as she listens to this um, broadcast, that her mom's in two weeks of um, a crying stage. And I just want to point out that people write to us all the time about different symptoms that they are trying to manage, um, um, you know, at home. And you realize that, you know, although there's a lot of similarities in the patterns of Alzheimer's, there's very distinct symptoms sometimes that are unique to the person. Um, so, so I imagine that makes it difficult in terms of um, having one set of rules for all Alzheimer's exactly. patients. Exactly. Exactly. There's, it's this no straight arrow to deal with this. And I think just talking about it, I mean, first off, I'm so sorry for that woman that she's going through this crying stage with her mother. I can only imagine how heartbreaking that must be. And um, yeah, and, and it, you know, they, there's a little video online you can find that shows that we are just out of control of our emotions when we reach a certain stage. And um, sometimes the crying or laughing is not even specific to something happy or sad. And sometimes that would help me if Steve seemed, you know, weepy to think, okay, try, you know, the, he's not realizing that everything is sad. He's just, this is just a physical manifestation of his disease and uh, try to carry on with what we were doing in the moment, you know? So, so is in, in terms of managing these behaviors, um, like we had a gentleman write into us this past week saying his wife is obsessive with 
feeling like things aren't clean. So they're constantly washing things and putting them in the dryer to show her they are clean. I thought that was so, um, I mean, they were, they were probably exhausted from, you know, having to clean everything that she touched or they, that she puts on. But, you know, it is, do you find as you advise people who you see at Matt's John, people who are um, relatives or caregivers to, is it better to distract or is it better to just create whatever moment they're in as a reality, like live in it and acknowledge it? Uh, what's what's the right direction? That's the, um, that's the million dollar question. And, and again, that's as individual as the individual is himself and as the moment is. There were times when you would try to redirect and then times that you would go with it. Um, you know, I would often have Steve say, you know, okay, come on, let's go, let's go home. And I say, all right, give me 15 minutes and I'll gather everything, catch our breath, and then we'll go. So that was a little bit of working with him and redirecting. And um, what I always like to say to people too, I don't really have advice for people. I can only tell you the things that worked for us. And sometimes that might work for other people. Sometimes it might not. Um, one day Steve said, you know, and I mean, our life was providing him with the best care he could have because he so deserved it because he provided us with the best life we could have. And he just looked at my daughter and I one day and he said, all I want is one decent pair of pants. And you know, which, yeah, I had 10 pairs of pants, but we just said, wow, yeah, you deserve that. Let's make that happen. You know, so little things like that and little things can become obsessive. He he liked to have something in his pocket that he could feel. Well, give him something in his pocket. Just let him, you know, like right. try to meet people wherever they are. And then and that can change from day to day. Yeah, that's a really important point to make. Yeah. We're getting um, a lot of a lot of questions and comments right now. Um, there's um, uh, one, one viewer is saying um, it all seems worse, much worse symptoms with a UTI, a urinary tract infection. Of course, um, we can't get the doctor to help keep this under control. They just don't understand how much worse it makes the symptoms. Um, have you come across that with any? Um, people you speak to? Yes. Yeah. Um, fortunately, Steve never had a UTI, but his mother dealt with that. And I hear of other people very often having that. And keeping up on that is hard. And it, and it can make the caregiver crazy because it's not, again, it's not an open wound that you can see and know that it's approaching and coming on. So sometimes it's full blown before you realize Um you know, that they have a UTI and what havoc it can wreak on a patient. I, I mean, if the doctor is not working with you on that, I would maybe seek another doctor or make sure you get your social worker involved. That's, that's the other thing that's becoming really, really evident is that social workers and resource specialists are almost just as vital as your neurologist and your PCP. Um, PCPs in general are not as educated about uh, Alzheimer's and other related dementias. I think that is all on the verge of changing, but um, right now they just may not even get, even though they're an MD, 
how vital it is to uh, treat a UTI and to lay out a plan to try to avoid future UTIs. I think there should be a whole nutritional plan set up with patients with Alzheimer's and other related dementias, because if you can work and lay out a, a meal schedule that helps them void when times are convenient, that helps them be regular with their bowel movements, you can save a lot of trouble on uh, the caregiver and a lot of wear and tear. Uh, and, and I'd like to see MDs incorporate that into plans also. And, and, and that could so, be, it's a vicious cycle with the UTI. Yeah, absolutely. We've heard that many, many times. Um, but Judy, how do you work with the healthcare professionals at MassGen? I mean, obviously MassGen is unique in the sense that they have care ambassadors, people like yourself who've lived through this disease and can offer a clear, fresh perspective on uh, what medical professionals, what healthcare providers should be aware of, but how do you work with them? Um, and you know, what are some of the effects that you're seeing from increased communication? Sure. I mean, I'm so fortunate that Steve's neurologist had the vision that she did of bringing me on board afterwards. And um, she said, listen, you know, if you could cover some areas, let's think about your strengths that you had along this journey. And those were uh, being engaged in the community, talking about this disease publicly and best ways to strategize, um, explaining to people the, um, the legacy that we were able to create by being involved in research and the cathartic uh, values of that in our family and, and for Steve. Um, so what I get to do in my job, I get to be at clinic on Mondays and sit at the research recruitment table and meet with people who are just willing to ask the question, is research right for me? And that's a very personal question and we never try to persuade anyone e either way, but we listen to them and we listen to where they're coming from and then we pass their information on to the doctors and ask them to suggest trials we have um, observational and clinical trials and a brain donation program at Mass General that, you know, sometimes it fits right in. Um, I had a beautiful older woman yesterday say to me, I know that research might not do anything for me, but I want to help others. And to be able to meet with people and give them a space to say that is really uh, a blessing in my life. And then I get to it was. Sorry, go ahead. There's a, a new dementia care collaborative working under the geriatric and palliative care department at Mass General. And they have linked in through the social workers into the, the memory division unit and trying to carry a continuum of that kind of care from the social work side into the research side, again, to treat the full patient and the, the caregiver. And um, we're trying to just make a more... Uh, more supportive atmosphere for the caregiver and the patient and know that visits to the hospital don't just have to be miserable clinical cold events. And I had a, a doctor in the clinic yesterday come to the table at the end of the day and he was introducing me to a, a colleague who's there for the summer. And he said, you know, having people like Judy here pulls us back down to earth. He said, we get involved in our research heads and our numbers. He said, but to remember the personal side helps us. And he, and he also even said the power of holding a patient's brain in his hand. 
postpartum is just so I really loved it that he sees it that way. And I think I think that's so much what's happening at Mass General that um, I got to really uh, see the clinic, the excellent clinical care that Steve received. And now I get to support them in whatever ways I can while I'm there. We we have someone who who has written in saying, um, does the fact my mom um, had this make me more susceptible? Now that's a question that comes up over and over again, and we find, um, you know, if if you are genetically predisposed, there is often um, a more of a willingness to go into clinical trials, mm -hmm. like, um, and you know, I mean. Judy, do you want to provide an answer to that that question? I, I know Steve had um, uh, his mother had Alzheimer's. Is that correct? Um, yep, and she well. she actually had it for thirteen years. She just passed away in May, and his father is on hospice now with Alzheimer's. So he had two, he did he ever get genetically tested for the APOE four gene? So he, because we were trying to get into a trial one time, he had to be tested for that. And we were told he did have the APOE4 gene. Now, I don't know whether he carried the two, um, two of them, but uh, he didn't have a genetic mutation. And I know that because of post-mortem uh, autopsy. And um, it's a very, very personal, personal thing to decide to get tested or not. But I'd say if you're asking the question and the question is uh, nagging at you, then talk to your doctor about it. And... You know, talk to, uh, what I love to say too is the Alzheimer's Association has a 24-7 helpline and people have the idea that that it only needs to be used in a catastrophic moment. But you can call that for any question and they can di direct you towards resources for asking these questions. Um, Steve, uh, supposedly Steve's Alzheimer's is not connected to his parents because his parents got it later in life. Mm -hmm. So... So um, another viewer is making a comment, which is so true, saying rural healthcare is different from the city, and that's so absolutely true. If you are if you are in a place like Boston or San Francisco, you're going to have many more um, care uh, resources available to you than if you are somewhere in a rural area. Um, and we, you know, that in itself can determine the level of care. Um, and what type of questions you're getting answered, like whether the doctor is experienced or not. Um, is, yeah. is that not the case? I mean, from my little knowledge and what I have heard from people across the country, yes, it is the case. And, um, and again, there's that 24-7 helpline that can connect you, you know, across the country, wherever you are, with information. But um, in places where the care is less than advantageous, you know, my only suggestion would be to keep educating yourself as a caregiver. And there's, if you have internet connection, if you can listen to Deborah and in her interviews, then you will become um, a better advocate for your loved one and um, maybe be able to navigate even in rural areas. And, uh, and having backup information when you go into doctors really does help. You know, it's, it's not an okay thing for a doctor to say anymore oh, she's just mildly forgetful. Why? I mean, 45% of people with Alzheimer's don't know of their diagnosis. That's not acceptable. Everyone yeah, deserves to know. 
If we've learned um, anything on this journey, it's twofold. One is you don't have to accept, if you go to one doctor and you're not happy with the type of answers you're getting, seek another one, right? We hear that, I mean, you know, one one person's perspective is not necessarily the right one for you. Um, and yes, one of the things that we're trying to do at Being Patient is give people who are in areas where they don't have access to the experts, we're bringing the experts to our platform um, to, to, to give them a connection uh, to people no matter where you are. So hopefully we can succeed in, in that. And I will say, you know, we're doing a good job if we're only doing that, even though we're yeah. trying to do more things. Yeah. yeah. So Mike Bellevue, who's a friend of ours, who we um, interviewed, he said, um, he's just made a comment saying, Judy, can you talk a little about Steve's attitude and the way he carried himself each and every day? Sure, I can. And while I do that, I will hold up a painting that Mike did for his dear friend, Steve, that um, is a quote that Steve had lived by. Um, I don't know if you can see it. Let's see. Can you see that? Hold it a little bit higher. Yeah. Yeah. So what I say about Steve is Steve took um, simple ideas, trials and tribulations and always made the most out of them. Um, I like to recall that, you know, one time a big, long log rolled into the beach and kind of took up an area where our kids would have swim. Well, Steve rolled it out of the water. He put a rock underneath it and made a seesaw out of it for the kids. He stood on it and challenged them to keep their balance on it in the water. They floated in the water. Then they rolled it out of the water and sat on it and had lunch on it. Um, he loved to sail his catamaran. And most people who are into catamaran sailing, if the wind dies, that's the end of their day and their attitude. Well, Steve would consider that a gift. He'd drop the sails and he'd say to the kids, lay down and look down into the water. We can see things that you can never see from the shore. So this was his view and approach to Alzheimer's also. When he was first diagnosed, he said, we have two choices. We can be happy or we can be sad. And we have love and Alzheimer's will never take that. So we're gonna take the happy road. And that's what we tried to do. We really, we made the most, he got involved with anything he could. I mean, when the doctor act, asked him if he'd be interested in donating his, donating his brain post-mortem, he said, that is a no-brainer, take it. <laughs> but he realized he would not be here to teach the kids how to climb mountains and to sail. So he wanted to do other things that would create a legacy for them to know that their grandfather lived and made an impact on this world. And uh, we had a we used to um, say in the morning, because I stopped working a couple years into his diagnosis uh, because we decided to just spend this time together. We used to say in the morning, we don't like Alzheimer's, but we sure love lingering over a cup of coffee together every day. That's and someone wonderful. had said to us in France one time when we were there, time is not my problem. So we would say that on our days off together. Time is not our problem. We're going to spend it and enjoy every moment of it together. That's wonderful. What a wonderful way to live and to look at life. Um, and I'm sure it did make those final years um, better, you know, with an attitude like that. I, I, I think that's incredible. What an incredible person. It really, it, it helps because, um, you know, I, another story that I like to tell is one shovel load at a time. Steve always removed the snow from our 
front of our house when we'd get a storm. One time we had an enormous storm and his back was out and he couldn't do it. And I went out and looked at it and I came back and I said, it's a mountain of snow. The plows had pushed it all in front of our house. And, and I said, I can't do it. And he said, can you move one shovel load? And I said, yeah, I can, I can do one shovel load. And he said, well, chances are, if you focus on that one shovel load and move it, you'll be able to do another and then another and another. And he was right. You know, it took me hours, but if I, you know, I can do today. And, and if caregivers can think about that, if you can make it through today, if everybody's fed and dressed, showers are a bonus, you know. Um, I used to say to him at the end of the day, we have a hundred percent success rate so far for getting through the day. So no reason to believe tomorrow will be different. And if it is, we'll deal with it then. That's a great, great outlook. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, and, you know, and kudos to all of the work that you're doing at MassGen. It's so important for so many people. Um, we're really so happy that you can join us um, for, for this half an hour and share um, your experience and Steve's remarkable um, journey with, with Alzheimer's and really a great example of an attitude um, that really helps you persevere and not give up. Um, even even though you know you have this disease, so he's a great example and a great legacy to live and aspire um, to live like. So thank you, thank you, Judy. Thank, thank you for you. sharing your story. Thank you. And how do people how do people reach out um, to you if if they have questions? I mean, you can always leave um, messages on our our Facebook page, but um, is there is there a direct resource within MassGen um, where people can find you? Well, I mean, I have a an email address at Mass General um, that they could reach out to. We can okay, yeah, we can post okay, that on, on the, yeah, on and our, then you know people message me on Facebook at times uh, or Instagram or. Um, but I just, you know, one of the things that really is so such a, an effect with Alzheimer's is connection and connectivity and the connections you lose along the way. So any way that we can remain connected and make new connections is a gift and a vital uh, source of sustenance on this journey. So I always encourage uh, fellow caregivers and people living with the disease to Connect, connect with each other, connect with me, connect with the universe, connect with God, whatever. Don't, you know, try to maintain connections. Thank you, Judy. Thank you for your time and your wisdom and knowledge and sharing um, with us. Oops, I think I've lost the picture there. I know. Um, anyway, um, just, just in time we can see you, but for some reason my picture has just gone out. But anyway, okay. thank you for your time. As always, we will post these interviews on beingpatient.com. Um, if you've missed part of it or you want to see more, uh, please join us, uh, check our website and the in interview with Judy in um, the entirety will be posted there. So thanks very much um, for joining us and we look forward to staying in touch. Thanks so much, Deborah. Thanks for all you're doing.